All right. This is the voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. Now I'm Brandon Corbin. This is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, guys, please subscribe to our page on YouTube. Just look for the voice of Motown podcast. Share your thoughts on today's episode in the comment section. Tonight, we are going to discuss WVU's tournament matchup against Maryland, the potential of playing number one overall Alabama, and Jim Beheim's legacy since he just retired recently. Well, I guess, quote unquote, retired. So let's get into it. The other night was Selection Sunday, and WVU has a tournament opponent. Like we said, it's the ninth-seeded Mountaineers are going to be playing the eighth-seeded Maryland um, Turpins, who we're, we're, we haven't played them in a while, but that kind of is an old rivalry. So it's nice to see that. And Maryland is a team that has played well at home. 16-1 and at home, 10-0 and in the conference at home. But oddly enough, a complete opposite team on the road, just two and nine. And they only beat Minnesota and Louisville on the road who finished last in their conferences. So not impressive road wins either. Now in neutral sites game, they're, they're three and two, including a win over Miami. So um, really a head scratcher to try to figure this team out on paper. They do seem like a solid team. Definitely very good on defense. And if you look at the resume, they beat Purdue by 14, a team we're familiar with, Indiana by 13, and like we just mentioned, Miami by 18 points. Those are all quad one wins. So with all that being said, what is your breakdown of WVU's opponent and what do you think West Virginia's path to victory is? Sure. So the the first thing I kind of looked at was uh their head coach, uh Kevin Willard. It's his first year at Maryland uh, this year previously spent 12 years at Seton Hall, which is a long time. And he did all right there. He made the tournament about half the time he was there um, five times. But the kicker there is, is that he's only made it past the first round once. And that was when um, his Seton Hall uh, team beat NC state in 2018 before they lost to Kansas. And kind of ironically enough, the year that they won that um, game, they were um, I believe an eight seed as well. And of those five times that they have been in the tournament, they've been an eight or a nine seed three times. Um, so most of the time, that seems where the committee likes putting them. Um, and, you know, kind of as I just indicated by talking through it, um, Kevin Willard only has a one and two record when he is an eight and nine seed. So overall one and four in the first round and as an eight or a nine seed one and two. So um, obviously not the resume that Huggins has, but, um, obviously still a good coach. So, you know, looking at the coach to coach breakdown, what do you make of that? And do you think that um, Willard kind of has the chops to match up with what Bob Hugg- Huggins could potentially throw at him? That's a good question. And yeah, I mean, he was a very good coach at Seton Hall. I believe um, West Virginia and Seton Hall even matched up a couple times when he was there, because if I remember correctly, I think his first year at Seton Hall, WVU might have still been in the Big East. It was either right there or right after. But, uh, yeah, he's actually a pretty good head coach. I know at Seton Hall it seemed like he underwhelmed a lot because, like you said, just one tournament win, that's nothing really to brag about. Um, but he had a lot of victories. And you could even argue his best team was in 2020 when the tournament got canceled. So who knows, that record might have been um, a little better. So, um, but what impresses me the most, Maryland was not a good team last year. They, they had some scandals too, so a lot of turmoil within the organization. 
And no one really expected Maryland to do anything this year. I was looking. They were expected to finish somewhere like in the 10 range in their conference. And, um, you know, so the fact that they're in the tournament, I, I would say Willard definitely overachieved in his first season at Maryland. Um, but like you said, he doesn't exactly have the resume for Bob Huggins. But you could argue that Bob Huggins is kind of on the decline. He's kind of in his twilight years. So I do think it's a even matchup, um, not only with the players, but I think coaching wise, it's pretty even as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Huggins is kind of clawing his way back up into something that's more of a modern basketball. It's taken him a few years, you know, whenever he had Deuce McBride, we were doing well. Um, but, you know, without someone like Deuce or like um, Javon Carter or, or anyone like that, he, he really kind of struggled finding someone who could lead an offense. And this year Huggins has someone. And I feel like, you know, the offense has gotten better um, over the season so far, especially after Larry Harrison was fired. Um so, you know, from a coaching perspective, I think what Willard has done has been impressive. Um, I, I like what Bob Huggins has done, but I still kind of worry sometimes Bob Huggins just kind of gets stubborn and gets stuck in his ways and that shoots ourselves in the foot. Yeah, you could definitely argue that. Um, you could even see, you know, I see a lot of people online complaining about timeouts against Kansas when they're on massive runs and he just seems to, you know, let it go on and on for too long. Uh, so you could argue that. I do agree. I like the way WV's offense has been playing in the past month or so. Um, it, it's a fun offense to watch. And, of course, the defense is still very tenacious when those guys are really hustling out there. If you look at Maryland's team, um, they're not, they got a pretty decent starting lineup. Their point guard, Jameer Young, easily their best player. He's a Charlotte transfer, averaging 16 points a game. And then if you look, he's, he's kind of got some nice leadership around him. Seniors Hart and Scott both average about 11 and a half points. Um, and then they got this sophomore, Julian Reese, who averages 11 points a game and leads the team in rebounds with seven. And the one question mark in their starting lineup, I would argue, is Don Carey, who plays the two guard. And he had a really rough season shooting threes, was heavily criticized. However, lately, he's been shooting 48% um, from three in his last six games. So this, this kind of seems like a team that's um, getting it together at the right time. But you can make the same argument for WVU. And I would argue WVU has more depth because it seems like Maryland only likes to roll about seven guys. Whereas WVU, it seems like, uh, you know, we use a, a good portion of our bench this year. Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing that sticks out to me about Maryland a, a lot is their size. I mean, Jameer Young is six one, Ian Martinez is six three, but everyone else is six five or taller, including the other four starters who are all six eight, six nine. Um, so they're a big team. And I'm I'm just kind of curious to see how WB is going to handle a team that has that much length um between the two through five position. But at the same time, while they're big, you know, at the guards and at the forwards, they don't really have a big center. Um I think uh, their center is only six foot nine, and that is Julian Reese. Um, Reese is also, you know, only averaging seven boards a game. Um, you know, he is a good shot blocker, but he also has a tendency to foul. So I'm interested to see how WVU kind of attacks that, since that does seem like kind of a weak point. Um, so, you know, is this a game that Jimmy Bell kind of finally starts scoring again, or do we see James Okonkwu kind of attack that matchup a little bit more? I know those guys aren't, you know, taller than six, nine, but it feels like 
you know, center is kind of their weak spot because while he is a good shot blocker, he's not really for someone who's playing, you know, 25, 26 minutes a night, he's not putting up tremendous numbers rebounding. So, um, and that's really the only guy on their team who rebounds. So I feel like that's an area that we could attack. So that, do you feel like Huggins should try to game plan to get post touches for Bell, Okonkwu and Wagi if he's healthy? Yeah, definitely. I, I think getting the ball inside against this team um, would be very effective. They do seem to allow twos. It, it seems like that's how teams are scoring on them is inside the arc rather than outside. And um, without a doubt, this this team makes you play at their own pace. They play very slow. They like low scoring games. They don't like a lot of shots. And so I think maybe the best strategy is for WVU just to play Bob Huggins ball, try to create a lot of turnovers, get fast breaks, try to get them uncomfortable because you know they're going to want to slowly dribble that ball up the court, take down the shot clock. I think the best thing to do is just to be up in their faces, making them hurry, make quick decisions. Um, because if you look, they're top 40 in adjusted offense and defense efficiency. Uh, if you look at their Big 12 opponents, like I said, they had a lot of success inside the arc, shooting 51%. So um, it's good to know that if WVU does struggle hitting that deep three, which sometimes they do, sometimes they catch fire, but sometimes they get cold out there. It's good to know they have the option to feed the inside post like you're talking about. Um, because here's the other weird thing. Maryland does not put their opponents on the free throw line often. They're only 85th in opponent free throw attempts. Um, credit to Brad Howe for that. I heard him mention that. Uh, but here's the real question. Every team in the Big 12 is worse at that. But is that because the Big 12 is a more physical brand? I mean, that could be why they're not put, allowing a lot of people on the line as well. Because the Big 12... Any game you put on, it's very physical, bodies crashing inside, and you are going to see a lot of free throws. So once again, I kind of like this matchup, not because it's an old rival, but just because the two teams seem to contrast a lot. And so it seems like a fun first round matchup. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, when you talk about their tempo, you know, th this team isn't just slow. This team is slow, slow. They are ranked 308th in the country at tempo. Um, and I think that really drags down, you know, a lot of the numbers that you're seeing. So while their, you know, foul rate is kind of low, a lot of the numbers that you're, I think you're going to see in terms of, the, you know, how many shots they're putting up, how many rebounds they're grabbing, that's dragged down by that too. So um, I think their defense is kind of inflated by that. I mean, when you limit possessions, you're going to have lower scoring games. So it's going to be important for WVU to either effectively score at Maryland's pace or figure out a way to, to speed it up. And I'm interested to see how, um, we handle that because, you know, Maryland isn't a team that turns the ball over or really forces turnovers either. And WVU tends to basically, regardless who the impotent is, figure out a way to give them the ball um, at times for stretches um, way too often. So uh, I'm really hoping that, you know, if we do go up tempo, that's not just going to feed into Maryland getting easy buckets, even though they aren't used to playing at that faster pace. Um giving someone the ball in a good spot for fast break opportunities is, is tough to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And, you know, I, th I, I do think a big key in this game is how often WVU gets to the free throw line. Cause as we've seen in big 12 play, typically that is when they win is when they get a lot of points from those free throws. But um, another positive check that goes into WVU's corner is they've, they're coming off a long layoff. 
um, which is good because they can play that tough nose defense and not wear themselves out by the time, you know, the last two minutes of the game rolls around, kind of like we saw with Kansas. That just looked like a tired team that had nothing left. Um, the fact that they got bounced out of the conference tournament pretty early, um, it's kind of weird to look at it this way, but it's kind of a positive because this long layoff, I think we're going to see a very energized WVU team on defense, which I think it's going to go a long way into winning this game. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it was definitely apparent within the first five minutes of the game that, you know, the legs were dead for WVU in that Kansas game. So, um, you know, this should be a good one. I I think it's going to be interesting. I I think it's going to be close, at least for most of the game. Um, WVU could potentially pull away and win it if they can start playing at the tempo that they like playing at, which is obviously much faster than what Maryland plays at. And, you know, that's really going to hinge on, you know, what Keedy Johnson and, um, you know, Joe Toussaint can do because those are guys who really kind of thrive um, at a much higher pace, I think, than some of the other guys. Um, but they're also guys who, if they're turning the ball over and their shot's not falling, I mean, we saw how when Keedy had a bad night against Kansas, um, the offense just kind of struggled. Even though Stevenson had an okay night, it wasn't a great night. Um, Keedy seemed to be kind of the key. So, um, he's going to be the guy that, you know, is going to be facing up against Jameer Young, who is a solid, who is a guy who's really, really involved in the offense. He has the highest usage rate on the team. Um, so I think Keedy, in my opinion, is kind of going to be the guy to watch for WVU and seeing how he performs. If he can go out there and give us 15 points, I think we're in a really good spot. Um, if he struggles again and only gets us five um, low shooting percentage, doesn't get into the line. Um, that's just going to show that I think Maryland is in control of the game and um, things aren't looking good for WVU. Yeah, without a doubt. And and another easy answer is, of course, Eric Stevenson, because we know when he gets hot, WVU just seems to be an unstoppable team. And on the nights that he's very cold, it seems like it's hard to find that go-to guy who can get you a bucket when you need one. So those two guards are really going to, decide the outcome of this game um yeah. but that's really all i got for maryland you got anything else yeah um so so i talked about two of the you know big names for maryland the, the third guy that i kind of wanted to highlight as um kind of an x factor for maryland is hakeem hart who is um one of their big two guards um he's six foot eight um and he's a guy who is a really good defender on the wing and someone that i worry about if he's guarding eric stevenson because of that size Um, But also, you know, he's a pretty efficient scorer. He's making 66% of his shots at the rim. He's also making 34% from three, which doesn't seem like much, but it's, you know, probably the second or third best on Maryland who plays of any player who plays more than like 15 minutes a game. So, um, you know, he's someone who can make some shots and he's, but he's also a guy who likes to catch and shoot 83% of his threes are assisted. So um, interested to see how, you know, WVU handles that because one of the things that I hate most as a WVU fan, um, and it hasn't happened as much this year, but whenever things are kind of going downhill for us, we always seem to leave someone open in the corner for that easy three-point shot. And Hakeem Hart seems like the guy who is perfect to just park in that corner and have Jameer Young drive and kick out to him for open corner threes um, way too much and, you know, potentially have a 18, 20-point game just from hitting four or five of those corner threes. So um, he's someone that, you know, just to put on your radar, if he has a cold shooting night, um, if you look at some of the games, 
um, games where he doesn't score more than 10 points, they're most of the time losing. So um, he's kind of the guy to watch for Maryland. And, you know, I think it's important for WVU to figure out how to um, keep him from getting open shots from the three-point line. Yeah, 100%. That that corner three does seem to be something that just kills WVU. And I think it is because they play that aggressive style of defense that just, um, you know, kind of leaves them open over there. But we'll see how they attack that. Um, but if WVU does win, because chances are this is the last podcast before the first two rounds. So in case they do beat Maryland, we just wanted to look at Bama real quick because um, more than likely they are going to take on the number one overall seed unless we just see like a gigantic upset in the first round. So what are your quick thoughts on possibly having two matchup against the Crimson Tide? Um, I, It's a matchup that kind of worries me because I think the pace that they like playing at um, and Brandon Miller, just as a player in general, kind of scares me. Um, I mean, I, I think it's hard to guard guys who are that big, that athletic, and that good of a shooter and a decent enough ball handler to create in space. Um, you know, really what WV would have to hope for in that game is just a cold night from Arizona or from uh, Alabama. I mean, this the, the team is just, they play at such a fast pace, it kind of reminds me of, what Kansas kind of does to us when we play them just with their length and ability to run up and down the court. Um, I think Alabama might be a little bit faster than them. Um, maybe not necessarily as skilled and consistent, but um, I could see a game that ends up getting out of hand and um, on a short, short turnaround, I'm not sure if WVU really kind of has anything in their arsenal right now to slow them down. So that's a matchup I really don't like. Um, obviously none of the one seeds are really matchups that I like. Um, I would have really liked to drop down to a 10 seed and face one of the two seeds, preferably. But you take what you can get. But um, Arizona is going to be a tough or Alabama is going to be a tough one. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, they're an offensive juggernaut. They have the fifth best offense in the nation. Uh, they rank fourth in the country and three point attempts at almost 30. And we just talked about how WVU sometimes gives up that corner three a lot. If you do that to Bama, you're going to be down early and often. Uh, the defensive unit is listed third in the nation in Kim Palm's efficiency rating. So not only are they putting up points, but they can get after you on defense as well. And, uh, you know, as always, when we talk about the tournament, the Tide has caught fire at the right time. They, they've won 11 of their last 13 games, including winning their conference tournament. Um, and, and that's why they're getting so much attention being talked about the number one overall seed, the team of destiny right now, they're just on fire. Uh, Brandon Miller projected top five pick, even with all that controversy surrounding him with, you know, everyone knows about it, his teammate and the shooting and everything. Um, he's still being talked about taken at like number four or five in the NBA draft. And it's hard to imagine anyone on WVU being able to slow him down right now. He, he averages almost 20 points a game. He's at 19.5. And the only time he was held under double digits this season was against Houston all the way back on December 10th. Um, but when I did a little deeper digging into his stats, he has shot 30% or under in three of his last five games. So he can get cold. The real key is keeping him off the free throw line because he's still putting up a ton of points even on those cold nights because he's shooting like, you know, 
he's making double digit free throws to make up for it. So it is possible to catch him on a slow night, but um, like you said, it's it's just well, any number one matchup looks bad, but it, it seems like if they have to go up against Bama, they're just gonna have to have an amazing defensive night to slow that offense down. Yeah, and, and this isn't you know to say that W if WVU wins, then you know pat on the back, good job, don't even bother watching. But um, no. you know, I feel like the the one seeds this year are are just really good. I mean, um, there, there's no one in the one seed who really didn't deserve to be there. And there's a lot of two seeds who probably had arguments for being one seeds. Um, you know, this seems like a tournament that's really top heavy. I mean, you got to think of all the teams like in the big 12 who um, ended up playing, you know, being a six seed or lower um, and they played in a tough conference. So, I mean, some of them may make some noise, but I think the teams that are in the two seeds are higher they're just really good basketball teams this year. And, um, you know, there's a lot of question marks surrounding the teams who got that three seed or lower. I mean, you look at someone like Baylor who has a great offense, but their defense hasn't been great this year. Um, it seems like those teams in the top eight of the bracket um, really don't have too much of that problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you're absolutely right about saying, you know, if we do beat Maryland, don't just phone it in because like we said, out of all the number one seeds, of course, we're not picking number nine seed WVU to, to have a really good chance of upsetting them. But I'm going to go hot take right here and say out of Bama, Kansas, Purdue, Houston, honestly, I might pick Bama as the matchup I would want because Kansas always terrifies me as a WVU fan. And we rarely have success against them outside of the Coliseum. So I would not want to play them. We saw Purdue earlier in the year. It, it's very hard to stop their big man. And I don't think anyone on WVU's team would be able to hold him to a very modest night. So I don't want to play them again. And Houston, to me, is has been a very scary team for the last few years. And so you could argue that out of all the number one seeds, if you had to play one, and maybe Bama's your matchup. Maybe you just hope for Brandon Miller to have an off night, that maybe Keedy really steps up and slows them down, and that, hey, you never know, an upset could happen there. Yeah, I mean, the only one that, you know, thinking about it since we talked about the other day, um, that I might want to see, depending on their health, is Houston because their point guard Sasser went down in the tournament. And he was kind of a steadying force for them. So just because they're a little banged up, I might want to take a shot at them before they get the full health, but uh, that's not a given either. So um, that, that's the only other argument I can make there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fair. But, um, you know, for sure, the game Thursday is going to be exciting. And then, hey, it's the tournament. Who knows what happens after that first round? Um, but the other thing we wanted to discuss tonight is Jim Beheim's 47 year head coaching career at Syracuse. It's amazing that that's where he was the entire time. It came to an awkward end recently, and I suppose it's only fitting. The man was very successful with Syracuse, five Final Fours, a national championship in 2003, but uh, he, he was very complicated and stubborn at times in his 47 years as WVU fans know, because, you know, he was a huge rival in the Big East. But, um, you know, after Syracuse was bounced from their conference tournament, reporters asked Beheim if he was going to retire, and he just kept saying that's up to the university. Um, he was very blunt, saying basically the ball's in their court. 
And then shortly after that press conference, just like an hour or two after, the university put out a press release saying Beheim's career is done. He's no longer going to be the coach. It was all very bizarre to say the least. You could tell there was some type of internal fighting between Beheim and the higher ups. So uh, what are your thoughts on Beheim's, I guess, retirement <laughs> and whatever we're going to call it? And how the whole news unfolded. Because for a man who gave his whole life to Syracuse, it's kind of weird how they nudged him out the door. Yeah, I think it's weird. And, you know, I think in some situations where, you know, maybe you have a coach who's been coaching for a while and just hasn't won in a few years, um, it makes sense. But Bayheim has had success recently. So, you know, kind of pushing him out the door and saying he it's not working after, you know, he's been to the tournament. Um, I don't know if it was last year or the year before that, but they went on a, a nice little run within the past five years as well. So, I mean, it's not like he's going out there and failing. I mean, they also um, are the team that beat WVU um, whenever we had Deuce McBride out there. Um, yep. Buddy awesome yeah, Buddy Beheim. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like Beheim kind of, had things still going in the right direction for Syracuse. Sure. They're not winning national titles. Sure. They're not winning the ACC. Sure. It seems like they're on the bubble watch every year, but they're, when they get into the tournament, they're doing stuff. And I think as a school, if I was an AD, that's kind of what would matter because sure. It's nice to have conference banners hanging in your rafters, but if you can go to the sweet 16 or at least go to the tournament, that's what your fans kind of care about the most. And that's where you get the most, um, recognition as a program is when you're on TV and potentially pulling an upset. Yeah. And I know Syracuse hasn't been good in the past couple of years and maybe that's a factor, but I also know Bayheim for years now. I mean, I don't know if it's been eight or 10 years. He's been doing like the, will I, won't I retire thing? Like he's, he's always got odd press conferences where he says things and then he contradicts himself the very next interview. And I don't know if just the higher ups got sick of that, I mean, anytime you hear an interview with him, he does seem like a hard man to get along with. So maybe also, maybe they're just sick of dealing with his personality because it is a very different personality. Um, but just looking at his career, his 2-3 zone defenses were certainly legendary and gave opponents fits at times. You can definitely credit that zone for helping Syracuse get to those five Final Fours that we mentioned. Um, but I guess you could also argue that it was a deterrent at certain times to team success because it is a little old fashioned, kind of like, I suppose, live by the sword, die by it. Um, but I, I would say that kind of points to his stubbornness a little bit as well, how he never wanted to get away from it. And I'm sure players nowadays, you know, would probably prefer, prefer more of a man. Who knows? Um, Coach Beheim seemed to stick up for his players. So I do respect him for that. I can remember um, one interview in particular where he really stuck up for, I'm drawing blank on the kid's name. He was, he was like a point guard in the mid two thousands. Nakamura. Yes, that's exactly it. Of course he got on my nerves as a WBU fan, but you know, in hindsight, he was a good player. And so the fact that he stuck up for him, um, but once again, it's Beheim, so he did it in weird ways. He he did so berating reporters, his own reporters, <laughs> um, like Syracuse reporters. And by most accounts, um, except for guys like Coach K and stuff like that who are very close with him, 
it seems like the consensus is the guy's kind of a jerk for a lack of a better word. So, um, I don't know. And recently he's been even on my nerves, his negative comments about NIL claiming programs in the ACC are just buying their teams when it was pretty well known that players were being paid prior to NIL at Syracuse. Again, kind of being a hypocrite and talking out of both sides of his mouth. Um, I, I mean, the penalties handed down in 2015 after a very long investigation revealed illegal booster help, academic help at Syracuse, etc. I mean, it was just a laundry list of things they got busted for. Uh, so, I mean, the, the basketball team even had to vacate 108 wins due to that investigation. So, like, he, he definitely got his hand stuck in the cookie jar there, you know. So his time there wasn't spotless. Not to mention his longtime assistant. I forgot all about this. Bernie Fine was fired due to several allegations of abuse, which included molesting two Syracuse ball boys back in like 2011. So once I did a little more digging, I, I kept finding all these things where I was like, oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Just all these black eyes that um, were kind of on his career, which is a shame. Because he played at Syracuse, he coached there. I mean, he spent his entire life there and had a lot of success. But like I said, when you do a lot of digging, there, there's an awful lot of things that you can, um, yeah, you know, kind of find negative about his time there as well. Yeah, I mean, other than him paying players, I mean, don't you know that playing in a football stadium in northwestern New York during the winter time is everyone's favorite thing to do? Um, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I mean, definitely a polarizing figure, um, but he won. And um, the good thing with him potentially staying retired, I kind of imagine that he would stay retired, but who knows with him um, is that Bob Huggins is now the active wins leader in NCAA college basketball. So um, we got the best right now. That's right, baby. <laughs> um yeah, I, I mean, to kind of put a bow on this, I don't want to trash the man who was clearly a great coach on his way out the door. And he did a lot for the community up there, without a doubt. Um, he raised a lot of money for cancer research I was reading about, which is awesome. Um, however, it's just hard to overlook some of the things I just mentioned. I, I haven't heard a ton of people saying great things about the man on his way out, including West Virginia's own Tony Caridi who, let's not forget, went to Syracuse. So I'm sure he has worked with Beheim as a student reporter, as a professional, and he had not one single nice thing to say. Of course, he kept it professional and short. He basically just said, see you later, enjoy retirement. <laughs> so um, I thought that was pretty eye-opening, too, to hear that from a guy like Caridi, who normally tries to find nice things to say. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what his legacy is after the dust all settles in like five and 10 years. But for me, um, I, I guess I'm kind of with Tony Caridi on this one. We'll see you later, coach. Enjoy retirement. You had a lot of success, but you also had a, a lot of things that you should probably be embarrassed about. Yep. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's it for us, guys. Thanks for listening to the episode, and uh, we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.